This is the end of Joshua, 22 to 24. Kind of always sad when we say goodbye to one of these characters in Scripture after we get to know them so well. A little bittersweet. Um, And it's a farewell. Um, These three chapters are farewell chapters that he's doing. He's got three sermons here, one in each chapter, 22, 23, and 24. And each one gets a little bit longer than the preceding one, but they all three have the same theme. People need to be faithful to God and fervently obey him. Bottom line, the importance of being obedient um, and, and walking with God, he stresses. So let's go ahead and take a look at the eastern tribes. The three tribes that kind of, like the, before they crossed the Jordan, they liked hanging out over on the other side of the Jordan and asked Moses if they could settle there and have that land. Moses said, yes, you can, but you have to continue to come over and fight for the, the rest of the nation until it's completed and it's at rest, and then you can go home. So we come to that part now in 22. At that time, Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, you have kept... All that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. They did not forsake them. They did not get tired in battle. How many times during those seven years did they think, oh, let's just go home. I miss my wife, my kids. You know, we're fighting this land for somebody else. We're already settled. That crossed their mind, I wouldn't doubt it, many times. But they did not forsake it, and they kept their word, and they kept the word of the God, and they continued to battle to the very last day. And now the Lord your God has given you rest, given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where, you, where your possessions lie which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. So it's time to go home. Um, They didn't forsake their brothers. They did not give up. And I'm stressing that word because it's an important word through the rest of this chapter. To forsake is to give up something formally dear, something that you valued at one time, and then you turn on it. To avoid it, to leave it, to quit it. But it had some kind of an attachment to you. And then you've given it up for forsaking. So as they turn to go back over the Jordan um, to their land, there's a lot of emotions in this parting. These men have fought as comrades side by side in battle. And you talk to any veterans, if you know any veterans, the commitment, the closeness they have to each other for the people they fought with next to each other in battle, they're brothers, a Marine is a Marine is a Marine. They, they, they've been through a lot, these soldiers and these uh, sailors they, and Air Force. They, they are a unit. Um, they've encountered things that we as civilians are, can never imagine, but we're indebted to them and very grateful. So this was the emotional scene here as they're going back, um, leaving their comrades in arms and going back home. Moses, in verse 5, says, gives them this charge. Only be, two things he tells them, 
very careful to observe the commandment, the Lord, and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. So be obedient to the law that Moses gave them. That's what they had at this time. And to love the Lord your God, to love him, be obedient and love God, and walk in all his ways to keep his commandments, and to cling... Notice these words, they're parting from these people, but they're clinging to God to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. So, be obedient, walk uh, uh, in obedience, in holiness to God, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, in that clinging to him. Some of your verses, translations might say cleave. It's like a marriage term. Uh, a husband is to, man is to leave and cleave to his wife, leave his family, cleave to his wife. Hold fast. Stick together. Glue. Follow close. In other words, that's a consistent thing. That's an ongoing thing. That's not just, hey, I'm going to check in with you. I'll go over here. I'm going to check in later. This is a ongoing togetherness, like glued together, a clinging to, a holding fast to, serving God and loving him all the time, not just in war when there's battles to fight and stuff like that, but now as you go home in peace, serve God just as much in peace. Boy, we can sure cling to God when we got problems. Things start going good. What do we, first thing we do, right? We don't need them. Boom, something happened. Boom, right there. Joshua's telling them, cling to him even in this time of peace. But you must be very careful to obey and love God. So as they go, he says, take all your wealth with you and share it with everybody. And in verse 9, so the people of Reuben uh, and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Nasser returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh which is the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, which they have been given through Moses. Now, a lot of emotions, seven years of fighting, going back, looking at that river, crossing over that river, things start going on in their head. What if they, what if they forget about us over here? What if, you know, what it's saying, um, Absent from the mind. Now, what is it? Uh, oh, I can't remember it now. What is it? Out of sight, out of mind. Yes, thank you. Read my mind. Out of sight, out of mind. <laughs> you know, what if, what if you know, we, we just spent seven years committed not forsaking them. What if they forsake us? So they start to think about this. And as when they came to the region of the Jordan that is in the land of Canaan, they haven't crossed over yet. This is important. They haven't crossed over the river yet. These tribes built there an altar at the Jordan, an imposing altar, which means it was a huge structure. They built this huge structure. And they did it, if we jump over to verse 24, they did it out of fear. They did it out of fear. What if they forget about us? 
What will happen then? What if when times of the, the feasts and we're supposed to come over and celebrate with them, what if they don't let us do that? And more so, what if they, our children, after we're gone, what if our children, they won't let us do, our children come and be a part of it? What if they forget about all that stuff? We better build a monument so that they can remember an imposing one. But they did it out of fear. Fear has an acronym. We've learned this before. F-E-A-R. False evidence appearing real. Where's the evidence that they're going to forget? There's no evidence there that they're going to forget. Their, their, their minds are going on this. Fear took hold of them that they built this thing. Well, it was just supposed to be a witness between the two groups of people on both sides of the Jordan. The problem was only one side knew about it. Right? hey, we better make something as a witness between us, but they forgot to tell this party about it. Had they spent the time and said, hey, can we do this? This is what we want to do. We wouldn't have a problem here. But that's okay. There's a story. There's, a, there's, you know, there's stuff to learn from this. Um, so we've got some assumptions going because the guys on this side see this huge thing and they went right to the assumption that they are now have turned from their faith. And they're not going to um, love God and serve God anymore like that. In verse 11, and the people of Israel heard about it. Behold, the people of Reuben and Gad, and what did they do? They built this altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan. On our land, they built this thing. And they heard about it, and they got upset, and they gathered together to make war against them. Weren't they tired of fighting? Weren't they like done with fighting, um, but they were so quick to, well, we better go over there and fight them. You know, what is going on here? But there's more. We don't, want to, we don't want to miss the point here. They're ready to fight them. They're ready to take up arms there, but it's because of their zealousness for God, their zeal for God. How can they, they need to, no, they can't do this. They've got to serve God. He's the one true God. And so what they do is they send a delegation over of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, who was the high priest, and the uh, chieftains from the ten tribes, they all go over and they confront them. And they did it very forthrightly, describing their concern in verse 16. Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord. What is this breach of faith that you have committed against the God of Israel in turning away this day from following the Lord of by building yourselves an altar this day in the rebel in rebellion against the Lord. What have you done? Because they were going on appearances. It looks like they have built something that they were now going to just deny their faith and, um, and worship there or do whatever they're going to do. An assumption. But they checked it out, and they went and they asked them. And they go on further to cite different examples. Remember when this happened in Puron? And remember the sin of Achan and what happened with him? And we all got in trouble for it. So if you guys do this, we just might all get in trouble. So what happened at Puron? What happened at Puron, number 25? Because Phineas was there. He remembers, and these other people remember. And everyone they're talking to probably remembers this with Moses. Um, they were in Sidom, I'll say it that way today. They were in the city, in the land of Sidom. And the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. They just started having sex with all the pagan women there. 
And these women, the people, invited them to their sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods, which Moab, the god of Moab, we know they were sacrificing children to that. And so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Puron. They became connected to these people. They clung to them. They got yoked to them. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and the Lord said to Moses, Take all the chiefs of the people and hang them in the sun before the Lord, that the fierce anger of the Lord may turn away from Israel. All their leaders, string them up. String them up. Let them be an example so the people can turn from that and realize what's going on, that God is angry and you're not supposed to intermarry with these people and start practicing their their pagan cults. It's an abomination to God. So they did that, and they strung them up there. Um, And while the people were weeping and wailing, (laughs) right in front of this congregation comes this Israelite man with his whore, passing right through, goes right into his tent, starts making out with her. Phineas, it says, when Phineas, the son of Eleazar, saw son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose and left the congregation and took a sphere in his hand and went after the man of Israel into his chamber and pierced both of them, um, the man of Israel and the woman, through her belly. He walked right in there and boom, right on their little love nest, he nailed them. God is serious about this, intermarrying and stuff. He's very serious. So this is the, this is what... Joshua, this is what the the Israelites were trying to tell these other tribes. Don't you remember that? Don't you remember that? Don't you remember what happened to Achan? You You can't do this kind of thing. They had at this point a... a a deep felt love for these tribes over here that they wanted to remember that. Come on, you guys, because they say this in verse 19. But now, if the land of your possession is unclean, pass over into the land, the Lord's land where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take for yourselves a possession among us. In other words, they're saying, don't, if this is going to be bad for you guys, come back over. We will give you, we will share with you the land that is here. Come back and live with us where God's tabernacle is. Um, Only do not rebel against the Lord or make us as rebels by building for yourselves an altar other than the altar of the Lord our God. So it was actually a demonstration, a sacrificial demonstration of great love. They went after this. It looks like you guys are going to sin. Don't do it. Don't do it. Hey, what, what can we do to help you out here? Costly love to restore their brothers. So the eastern tribes here, they are like, whoa, 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 time out. Misunderstanding here. If indeed what you're charging us with is true, then yeah, snuff us out and kill us. You know, we deserve that. But it's not true. God knows the motive of the heart. This is the reason why we built it in verse 24. We built it, we did it from fear that in time to come, your children might say to our children, what have you to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? For the Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us, you and the people on the other side. So your children might make our children cease to worship the Lord. So they clear up the miscommunication. They took the time out 
and they listened to each other. They made their concerns clear. They confronted them. They went to them. They tried to give them an alternative to help them out. So they got clarity on what was going on. It was not a real functioning altar. It was a copy of it to be a representation. It's like crosses that we wear. That's not a real cross. It's right. It's symbolic. And so they're in agreement. They agree with God. Jehovah is the one true God. We would never do that. And so we have resolution. We have agreed upon. They took a stand for truth, and they loved their brother enough to confront them, and all's okay for the first generation. All's okay. A great demonstration of love. So when two parties are both following God, they will come together. They will come together. Life is simple if we choose to love and serve God. We make it complex. We get assumptions. We, do, we get off on the wrong track. But it's really very simplistic what God has designed for us. Obey God and love him. And, and, and he will fight for you. All right. So we've got that group of people there. Fast forward many years later in chapter 23. Many years later, we have Joshua now giving his second sermon to the leaders, the new leaders of the Israelites, the elders and the judges and the officials, the younger group of people, the people that aren't so old that they're going to die off pretty soon like like Joshua's dying off. Okay, so he's going to talk to the new recruits that are coming in. And the first thing he tells them is to remember what God has done for you, because he's going to give them the same message. You've got to be obedient, and you've got to love God. So it starts with remembering what God's done for you. And in 23, he goes and he tells them all this stuff. He gathers them together. Um, and down in 5, he tells them that God will continue to fight for them. But, he, but before I do that, in verse 3, he says, you have all seen this. These people were eyewitnesses to what God had, had done. They weren't so young that they hadn't witnessed some of this stuff. So he's reminding them, you're eyewitnesses to God and how he fights for you. So remember these things. Don't separate yourself from the memory of what God has done. So often we go on feelings, don't we? And we forget about facts. Something happens and we get upset and we, we don't even go to remembering the faithfulness of God and remembering who it is. It's that feeling inside we react to. He's telling them, don't do that. Go by the evidence that God will fight for you and what he's done for you in the past, and he'll take care of you. Don't abandon the evidence. You know what? Little journals are so good. Journals of stuff prayer journals where you put stuff down and then you put it in and you got the answer to prayer in there remembering things like that we had my nephew over um last weekend he from nebraska and it was so fun to watch them just hey yeah celia remember when we did this and remember when we did that and all that kind of stuff and stuff that i had forgotten about but the things that god has done for us we need to really remember those things because if we don't we'll be too quick to go on our feelings And as women, we know they can be all over the place, don't we? But don't tell anybody else that, right? It's our secret. (laughs) We're really solid people. All right, so 
He's telling them to remember, and he goes through and he starts reminding them of the things that, you know, you've got to remember, you've got to remember that God will fight for you. And he tells them God will continue to fight for you even after Joshua dies. Joshua isn't the magical person here. God will fight for you. So verse 6, therefore... Oh, he says you have to be obedient to God and fight because the Lord your God will push them back before you and drive them out of your sight. He'll fight for you. In six, therefore, be strong to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, turning aside from it neither to the right or to the left, and that you may not mix up with these other nations that are remaining among you. Okay. Be obedient to what God has told you to do. You have to put your strength in obedience. Put all your energies into being obedient to his word, not in your ability to physically fight. We do not fight against flesh and blood. But what do we fight against? We fight against every argument that sets itself up against the truth of God. So we need to be obedient. We need to know what this is. We need to cling to him. This is what he's telling these new leaders. Then he gets on to a, in verse 7 and 8, a do this and don't do this. Or actually starts with don't do this. Don't do. Don't intermarry. Don't mix with these people. Okay? Don't even make mention of their name, of their God's names. Don't swear by them or don't serve them. Don't bow down to them. Don't, don't, don't. Stay away from them. Do, in verse 8, cling to the Lord your God just as you have done to this day. So he was saying, you, you, you're, you're on the right track. You've been doing this under our leadership and stuff, but this leadership now is going to pass the baton on. So it's on you guys now. So you guys, it's so important. Joshua is adamant about this. You've got to obey God and love him and not intermarry or interact with these people. In verse 9 to 10, he reminds them that they will, he'll, they, he'll fight for you guys. He will fight and he will drive them out for you, but you have to be very careful in verse 11 to love the Lord your God. For if you turn back and cling to these remnants of these other nations and you marry them and you associate with them, it's not going to go good. Know for certain that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations from you, but they will be a snare and a trap for you, and a whip on your sides, and thorns in your eyes, until you perish off the good ground that the Lord has given you. He's he's making it very distinct. Do this, and it'll go well. But if you don't, God won't drive them out for you. God won't drive them out if you embrace them. God won't take away sin in our life if we're embracing it. And Joshua is adamant about this. You know, how many times I hear people so confused in their prayer life, well, why won't God just do it? Well, you got open sin in your life, and you know it. (laughs) It kind kind of hinders our prayer life a little bit. 
If we're clinging and embracing to something that's not good, God has a, he fights for us, but he's not going to, you know, drive stuff out. Okay. Choose. He's telling these new leaders, you need to choose who you are going to serve. God is a God of love. It's obvious. Um, The choice should be pretty easy. Look at all the things that he's done already. It should be a no-brainer, shouldn't it? Yeah, let's go with this guy. I mean, this, this this is good. Life's been good for many years. A long time after, there's been rest in the land and peaceful. Okay. The choice is theirs. Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. And if you don't, God is a consuming fire. He goes down there and tells them, The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and you will be perished quickly from the land. Pretty simple. Obey God and love him, and life goes well. Life goes well. But we have that thing called sin nature we still live with. All right. The last group of people that he's going to be talking to, his last sermon is the entire nation in chapter 24. He's got everybody there at Shechem. All the leaders, all the people are there. And he starts, again, to remind them of the acts that God has done. And he starts with the patriarchs in the first five verses, beginning with Abraham. And Abraham in the land of Ur, he was, they were, there was a pagan. There was no, no you know, uh, the, the world was pretty rough. <laughs> um, you know, there was divine revelation in nature and stuff, but there was a lot of sin nature going unchecked. And Abraham, they worshipped pagan gods in the land of Ur. So God saved them from those other gods. God has proved himself more powerful than these other gods to all the patriarchs. And then in, chapter, in verses 6 to 10, he says, okay, when you guys were in the wilderness and I brought you out, I took care of you in there too. I did all these things. I brought you out. I saved you. I I gave things to you. I destroyed the enemy. All on your behalf. God fought for his people. He's reminding them as in the big congregation, he fought for them. And then when, since you've come into the land of Canaan in verses 11 to 13, I have fulfilled these promises. I have fought for you. I've pushed these people out. All the blessings that you have received are from God and not from your own labor. All the blessings that we receive are from God. He's a good God, and he wants to love us, and he wants to bless us. It's It's not anything we do. There's nothing wonderful about us. We're pretty wretched people if we're honest with ourselves, right? We keep that part hidden, though, but, you know, the good stuff you see, that's Jesus in us, right, when we yield to that. So he's trying to remind him of that. He's given us a free will. Once we become believers, we're his children, we have a free will. We can choose. We're not going to lose our salvation, but we can choose to obey him and love him, or we can choose to just embrace sin nature and not do that. And it's a constant battle of the flesh within ourselves. So Luke 16, 13 lets us know that we can't serve two masters. We'll love one and hate the other one. And you know what? We all serve a master. We're not gods ourselves. Satan liked to have us think that we are gods ourselves because that's what he wanted to be. Some religions even say that. Hey, eventually we'll become these little gods. We're not. 
We are creatures and the creator, the one true creator we want to serve. There's a fallen creature that is filled with laws, lies, Lucifer, who wants us just to be deceived and take the route that he took where he could rebel against God and he can, you know, but really we're just serving him. We think we're serving, we think we don't need God, we don't, you know, I'm, you know, prideful and arrogant and I don't need anybody. That's a lie. That's Satan's lie. The one that he stirred up. So, we either are going to serve God or we're going to serve something else. So in 14a, Joshua says, I don't like it when there's all these chapters because I go back over to the last chapter. 24, 14a. Um, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the other gods of your fathers. Put away the gods that Abraham worshipped. Put away the gods that were in Egypt. Um, Serve God exclusively. Put those things away. And, and, And one way to help us remember to put those things away is to also remember who we used to be before we became a believer. Let's take a peek at that. Genesis 6, 5 tells us this. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. What a horrible place to live in. Let me read that again. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the, in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. There was nothing good going on. No one was looking out for anybody else. All right? Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Ecclesiastics 7.20, surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Psalm 14, 2-3, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside, together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Now we'll, we'll go into the New Testament just so it can relate to us a little bit more. Romans 3, 10 to 12, kind of quotes Old Testament. Not, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one. They took the Old Testament verse and they put it in the New Testament. It applies to us too. We live for God because of who because of who we have been and what he has done for us. We love him because he first loved us. Isn't that what it is? So thank goodness he didn't leave us there. Let me end on a happy note here with that last thought. Ephesians two And you were dead, 1 to 10, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins 
He's talking to the church in Ephesus, but he's talking to us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air. Yeah, we don't think we're free. We're following the prince. We're following Satan. Um, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's how we come in this world. But then we have that wonderful phrase that we have learned to love so much. It's that but God phrase. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love for which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no man may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is the message he was trying to get through to these people. Nothing good that's happened to you happened to you because of your own effort. It was God that did it. You've got to remember that. And in order to continue to get God's blessings, you've got to be obedient to him and you have to love him. But if you find it hard in verse 15 that you think it's evil to serve God, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day who you're going to serve. And then he goes and gives them a couple options. Fine. If you're not going to serve God, if that's not for you, then you can even serve the, the um, pagan gods from the land of Ur, of the Chaldeans, or you can go back and, and serve the Egyptians' gods that were there, or you can go and serve the Amorite gods that were there, or you can tr- serve the one true God. You have a choice. The Israelites respond in 16 and say, oh, no, no, yeah, we're going to, we're going to, far be it from us, we're going to serve God. We know what he, and then they go and give lip service. Yeah, he did this, and he did this, and he did this, and he did this. We're going to serve God, okay? If you think about it, let's just think about it. Let's just remember. (laughs) This, in history, is a, a pinnacle point. It's not like the cross and the resurrection, but it's pinnacle to the, the, the nation of Israel. They finally got in the promised land. After all these hundreds of years, they're finally there. They're at peace. Their, their livestock's growing and their, their harvests are great and things are wonderful. And, you know, there's, there's rest and peace. You know, it was, it was, times are good. It finally happened. After 400 plus years, It's there, and through not just the great blessings of being there, but the amazing demonstrations of God's love to get them there. All the times he fought for them. They have a rich history of all that stuff. Why is it that Joshua has to beg them to get rid of the idols? They've been there now for what, many years, a long time afterward? Whoops, what happened? Sorry, Janie. Are you there? Did you guys see what happened? I just need an edit from my husband. I don't know. (laughs) Anyways, um, 
Yeah, they had been there many years, and they hadn't driven all the, the people, the bad people out yet. So he's begging them, you need to, to destroy all of these idols. So they say, yeah, 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 we will, we will. But Joshua cautions them against a very lightly made commitment. Joshua finally realizes, you know what? Enough said. More words are going to be useless. I've, I've spoken and everything, and either they're going to get it or not. Their own words are going to be their witness. So Joshua draws up the covenant between the people and God, and he puts a stone there. And he says, this stone is going to be the witness to it all. And then we go down on the last part of um, Joshua here. And we have three deaths. Joshua dies, Joseph's bones are brought in, and Eleazar dies. That's how it ends, with death. And that's how we end, with death. The only thing that matters in life is what we do for the Lord. That's the only thing that matters in life. Everything else is just... Futile. Read Ecclesiastics some. So it's a good reminder that the choices that we make now to serve God and, and love him are the things that matter in life. Um, let's pray. God, this is, you have told us, told them and told us and over and over just how simple that you've made it to come to you and to love you and how lovable you are, and yet still we get stiff-necked. And yet your grace, your, your mercy is just new every morning. Thank you that you don't give up on us. Thank you that you won't ever devour us. Thank you that you hold us in the palm of your hand. And we ask that your spirit would just strengthen us and give us a stronger desire to study your word, to own it, to do it, and a deeper love of you as we get to know the riches that are in this book, that we can be your ambassadors out there in this war. To your glory, we ask these things. Amen.